Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of the Prima Donna Podcast. I'm Nat Grant, a composer and sound artist from Melbourne, Australia. And what follows are sonic portraits of three incredible Australian artists, their voices mixed with my music. This podcast was produced on the stolen lands of the people of the Kulin Nations, and I pay my respects to Elders past and present. The third portrait in this season is of Gomorrah Elder and documentary filmmaker Auntie Madeline McGrady. She made the first film on black deaths in custody and was the first Indigenous person on the Australian Film Council. Her 1983 film, We Fight, documents the protests around the 1982 Commonwealth Games in Brisbane. She raised five kids on her own and is a tireless activist still, especially around deaths in custody and growing racism in Australia. So it's sort of part oral history, part sound mm-hmm. art. Oh yeah. So it's mostly the person telling their story. Mm-hmm. But obviously, so it's not a straight up interview. No. I'll leave out. But I, then I keep in some of my yeah. voice because I am here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the film went over to uh, Germany Festival, Film Festival, a big festival over there. And so, which film? Oh, uh, film I made. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so they skype me in here, and Gary Foley in Melbourne, and a couple of the uh, young people up in Brisbane at the games protest up there. It was great. And so we just uh, they had the film when the film finished, then live audience to talk to over Germany. It was great. I loved it. Because yeah. you were saying to me you really like to do the screenings yourself and be there and speak. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of like that. But um, as long as I've got enough information to go with the film, but yeah, otherwise I, I mean, I'd certainly... Gary's done one down in Melbourne because he was the main star, so he certainly <laughs> knows, that, he knows how to talk about it. But yeah, yeah. I'm trying to, I want to use the film now as a, uh, to, you know, start up some debate and have a look at it. And that was in 82 or so. Has there been any change? Yeah. Especially in Black Desert Casting, it's tripled in other states. And, yeah, so hardly. Could you do some kind of little intro? Um, I don't know what land we're on. Oh, Could okay. you tell? The people listening? Yeah, sure can, yeah. Look, I'm Madeline McGrady and I'm a Gomorrah elder. Uh, my country is further northwest and it's uh, out right out in the sticks, and uh, that's where I was born, up in the northwest area of the New England. Um, we're now on, on Darganjong land, and uh, it's a big, big community here. And I've been here now for eight years, and uh, I am really settling in. I love the, love the, you know, this beautiful bush around here, and uh, really enjoying being amongst the community here. I read somewhere that you started making films when you were forty. Is that right? Um. A bit earlier than that, yeah. uh, yes, but round about, yeah. 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 How did that come um, about? Look, the film Drive came about, um, we were having a protest at a ta- place called Tamworth, and uh, of course I was involved in a protest against the state government at the same time, so there was some media came to Tamworth, 
and uh, one guy came along with a camera and it really, uh, I really took to it. I thought, wow, this looks good and I had a look through the lens and I was, I really uh, got stuck into it. And so in the end, he, he left the camera with me and um, I was living in Tamworth at the time and so I encouraged the kids to come over every afternoon and we got to play with it and learn. And, and uh, um, mainly, I suppose, too, because uh, living, I was brought up on a mission. And so living on a mission, we were controlled by what was then set up in the, uh, I, th I think it was starting in the, in the early 30s, because Toomala work mission, where I come from, was started in 1938. And so uh, they, the state government then set up a, a big committee called the Aboriginal Protection Board, which consisted of 26 white men. Pretty heavy going, and so they were the ones who, who controlled our lives. And so Tumla in itself, and along with lots of others in New South Wales, lots of missions were basically concentration camps. And so we were controlled by the police and the, the welfare and the mission managers who were white. And um, so we weren't allowed to leave. We couldn't, uh, Gundawindi was is a Queens, in Queensland, which was 15 k's away, and uh, that's where the doctors were, and the, you know, we had to go in there for shopping. So we always had to have a written permission from the, the manager, the white man, to leave uh, the compound to go into town. So it's very hard, and I, I still say today that a lot of our people are sick today from the effects of that, because we didn't get proper medical treatment and a lot of our people died for the wanting of it and which is very very sad but that was part of the the policies that this state government set up in, at the time and you have five children is that right i do have five children um and they're all um scattered right throughout the place uh, but uh, they've done well, and um, uh, the youngest, uh, uh, I had to, got a te two teachers who uh, got through, and uh, I read them up by myself in Sydney. I spent 20 years in Sydney, so I had to work and uh, made sure my children were safe and looked after and got an education, and uh, they've done really well. They're very independent, and, um, and they're involved in in uh, working for communities around the district. So, yeah, very, very strong and uh, survivors they are. We had a big one of <laughs> surviving to, to live in the city, which was very, very strange at the time, but um, we supported one another and had a lot of support from the family as well. And it was great. So they were literally <laughs> bred and born around all the <laughs> land rights campaigns at the time and yeah. so they were very much aware of what what was happening and uh, uh, around black death in custody and and the land rights campaigns too as well yeah are they in any of your films they are in some of them as babies <laughs> a young guy i was i had when uh, i went out to we War to do the the first black death in custody and uh, the youngest was just two months old i think when I went out there. 
And so he is now 38 years of age and that's how long I've been involved in the Black Desert Custody for a long time. It's a big journey and here we are still going. So was this the first film that you made? No, it's no, no it's not. Because um, that was 35 years ago. Yes. This is the same age as me. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, it really, yeah. it got a bit damaged. And so I've got a friend over in LA who worked for four years to oh, repair to it and it. restore it. And it came up really well. Yeah, I'm really, great. really pleased with it. And what do you think? Yeah, it's great because I didn't know much about that campaign. Yeah. And it seemed like such a strong campaign, such strong yeah. leadership and so many women as part of the leadership of the yeah. campaign, which, yeah, yeah. it was really great to see. It, it was. And uh, the young guy who uh, who helped organise the screening and stuff, and he's in Sydney, but he, um, that was the first question. He was uh, interviewing me and he said, only of this one burning question it is uh, the women involved and I said yes they were they were the decision makers I mean the men supported them of course but I, I particularly um, look at the one uh, where she's a fully qualified nurse when she first came there and they're from Cairns and uh, it's, it's really mad how you meet up and I met up with her 25 years later in the case, the Doobidgee case up in Brisbane. 25 years to the day I met up with her, but she, her statement at the time was, I, um, I came here because there was some government people who were there trying to offer money to stop us from uh, doing illegal marches. So if they, they'd say, give you 10,000, will you stop having illegal? Yeah, and so no, no. We said we're here to fight. You know, we're here to march, and we'll do that. But she said, I, you know, I came here and I, I left my three children at home, and I came here for this reason that I want to march today. She said because I don't care if I get my head kicked in or a bullet in the head. I'm here to march today for my children, and I hope that we can do that to make it better for them. What a strong statement. And just the fact that a lot of the questions I got asked the other night at the forum was that how did we manage to get all those different people to come and uh, you know there's people came down from Northern Territory, Tasmania, uh, New Zealand and it was a huge undertaking oh, and was, so organised. It was, oh, it was great. And they, were, they camped there two weeks before the game started, so there was lots of, um, lots of interaction with people and we didn't have any problems except the police, but uh, that was great. Did you like that shot with those yeah. guys? <laughs> but, uh, and just, you know, it, I, I think it was the best experience I had up there with all those people and uh, going through what we did, but yeah. So it's not the first one. I think the first one I got done was a film called, it was about the Land Rights Act. Oh, no, it was about the act, the, uh, yeah, for the, for the Land Rights in 
one. And it was called Always Was, Always Will Be. And I wanted to make it and get it out there to the people, to the communities who really couldn't understand what the act means. Nobody does. Actually, it's hard to understand all the jargon that they put out in the acts. And so I've done that purposely to take that out. And I just want to say that I was sitting there on the lounge and I was watching the Invasion Day rallies. And I was, I was just so overwhelmed. And I rang my children up and said, have a look at this. And, and that uh, one up there, the Peace Award up there, it was nominated for the, new, I was, the Human Rights Award for that film, Always Was. Now, I've never heard it until, now I made that in 1981. You know, I've done lots of things and of course, I was just a quiet achiever and rearing up five kids at the same time by myself. It was people saying, well, how did you fit it all in? Mm. I, stood, I asked myself that question today. <laughs> you just did it. <laughs> just did it. And I think the drive was there. We were, we were trying to get to make life better for our next generation. It was hard, but I've done lots of things since, of course. But. Um, I came out of poverty, you know, and, uh, and going to school on the mission where um, it was all white teachers and they taught us about Captain Cook. And I remember going home and my grandfather used to talk to me about culture and about lots of things. And uh, I said, but grandfather, they're up there, the teachers are up there. They said this fella called Captain Cook was here first. And he used to sit and he used to shake. He said, no, my girl. That's how they used to talk. No, my girl. He said, that's not true. He said, we were here first. I took that up and I went back to that school and I said, hey, you fellas stop telling us lies. And I, I wouldn't read the books. I said, so I, I suppose it all started back there. Mm. There's, um, you know, it, it's coming out of the poverty and, and not having any support and because and, Tumalo School was a non-average school and then I, we had to go into Gundiwidji to the white school, yeah. white fellas, and that's when I first uh, had to confront racism. Yep. And that must have been heartbreaking. It was. For your grandparents to have you come home and... Yeah, it was be repeating. Yes, uh, and so you know, we I think I spent most of my life just trying to uh, combat it and, and just what do you do? You know, we they we had to fist fight them. Not that I did, but others did. The other kids. Yeah, because you know it was hurting about being called niggers and bungs and. And we didn't see any problem with it, you know, we're the same as you, we, why are you saying this to us? And all my hour was horrible time, it was hard. And, um, you know, growing in, up in, in, those, in that time, our parents had to, you know, we had to get rations for food from the government, you had to line up with little bags and collect food through a little window. But yeah, I mean, racism doesn't go away, and uh, I think this country is the worst. Do you mean worse than it was? Yeah, oh, years ago? yeah. 
for a while it sort of went underground. We didn't, uh, we were, you know, getting abused and all that, but it was just like ignorance flared up and they just were like ignoring us. And uh, we thought it's gone, but now it came back alive and well and in fact worse. And, and so I see a lot, of, a lot of stuff that's happening, but it's based around racism at the highest level. And so, you know, what our journeys that we've been through, but um, you know, people are saying, oh, we can't do anything. We can't get any support and funds from government. Well, how can we? When, you know, and I say to my kids, I say to everyone, I don't have high expectations of getting any support or anything from this government and any other government, whether, what well, doesn't matter who they are, because of the, you know, they write up constitutions. We're not even in the constitution. So they write up policies and, um, and so don't have high expectations that you're going to get support from them. We are just, we are being treated as, uh, as they put us in, as for, uh, you know, for one of the, yeah, and it's exactly right, that's how we get treated. So it's a hard one, and how do you tell your kids, you know? This is an Aboriginal organisation, you know, paid to be a consultant for them, just to, uh, uh, talk on their behalf to the government departments and I think there was about the first one there was about 15 to 20 departments justice and health and education and all those people and we had a group of youth there and they danced first for the, all the visitors and I had much to say and then I spun around to them and I said well I didn't intend to, but you know, I knew that I could feel the press sitting in front of the press was there. And I said, well, I want you guys to learn and, and take all this in because this is what you're going to be up against. These are the people who make decisions on your behalf, whether you get to go to a university or whether you get to, to be a pilot on a plane or whatever. These are the people. So I want you to take everything in and away, wow, you know. I uh, left them, that meeting that day was the first one, and I said, um, I just want to leave you with this quote, and it was said at an Aboriginal Women's Conference in Brisbane uh, in the um, early 70s. And uh, Aunt Lilla Watson said, um, she quoted and she said, um, if you come here to help me today, please go home. But if you come here to support me, then you may walk with me. So I left that with them <laughs> and at a later meeting she oh, I remember that what you said. <laughs> but it's it's a hard slot. It really is, you know. I remember going to school at term one, we didn't have much food and I was hungry. And so the teacher used to put us up the back to have a sleep until three o'clock until we went home. You know, I want you to understand that this, these are some of the experiences we had. And, and so you, you come out of that sort of situation 
I want to come out and I want to do something. I want to make things better for my next generation and my children, you know? And so that's where the drive came. But I suppose with the communication and the filmmaking and um, I, I think because we didn't know what was, we just lived in our, on our compound, our concentration camp, and we didn't have a clue what's happening outside. We weren't given any, you know, there was no papers, there was no nothing. And, and so I think that in itself drove me to, oh, you know, I'd done radio, Radio Redfern, I worked with bands, and I took band, live bands up to Tuvalu and tried to give them something that they would never seen. You know, once I came to Sydney and lived, there was a whole different, you know, lots of things there that I could access. And once I did, I wanted to get it out there to, you know, the mob out there on the missions and that, which I did, you yeah. know. And it was great, you know. I, I got the privilege to work with No Fixed Address and Us Bob and the bands from Adelaide. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was just fantastic. So, yeah, I think the drive of, of, of coming out of poverty and my... And we've, you know, had so many uh, calls for media to come and there's so much happening. But um, we still didn't get, you know, we've read big reports. And, and I think Tuvalo must be the... The only one that's got so many reports written about it. And, um, but you still don't get anything, you know, and, and, and it's, it's still, still the same, yeah. you know. Have you had support for any of your films? This one, I suppose, I got the grant for the first time, but anyway, you know, Aboriginal got a grant. Yeah. But I, I or, you know, once I got around Sydney, I, I sat on the Australian Film Commission. And I, I got uh, Gary to come on later. So we wanted to put a stop to, uh, you know, that was a time when they used to make films and paint people black and all the rest of it. And so we wanted to put a stop to that, but, and we did. And when was that? Gee, uh, um, I think it was, it was, because uh, I made that, that always was one at SPS. So that was in 81. I, I got, they appointed me to do that. Uh, it was in the 80s, I think, or late 70s. It must have been the 80s. It was in the 80s, so I was on there for 12 months. So we, we made some inroads into the film industry. But it was a real drive there for me to do, you know, to do something, because I knew how, how uh, people weren't getting to have access. You know, I, I remember I used to go and do a talk at unis and tapes just to borrow a camera yeah. to go and do some filming around yeah. Redfern and that sort of stuff and the police brutality. Uh, yeah, Redfern. So I had to do some things like, like we couldn't just access it. You know, we could, they didn't trust us because we're blackfellow ones, you know, it's blackfellow. So I had to write a, some sort of a note to say, hey, look, you know, I'll make sure I have this and all that. Yeah, so there's a lot of that stuff. I never got any real support. And this is why my films haven't been shown. I've got heaps there, I'll show you. They're in that box there. And, um, no. and I, I wonder about that, you know. I, I mean, I had a lot of support in terms of... I first started with a, a group called the uh, Filmmakers Co-op, 
with a group of alternative filmmakers and they were great. They gave us a lot of support, you know, and uh, they still are. And Fabio is one of the greatest guys I've ever met. He's still there, you know, he goes to whatever's happening to our piece there. And his family, you know, they were all involved, but none from anyone else. Um, it was it was so hard, you know. <laughs> but we, you know, we got through and uh, sorted a few things and out now there's so, so much happening. You know, it just, um, I'm really proud to see that happening, you know. We broke some barriers down there. There's a list. <laughs> uh, I made, um, I suppose there always was was the first one. Um, but in, in 1982 was a horror year for us. I was living out of Blacktown, out the west, and um, we were packed up and we went up to Brisbane and uh, we just got back to Sydney and still had the gear in the car. And I got a call to say there was a murder in Moree, where I come from. And uh, so we just died in the car and the gear's still there and got us to put some things together and where we went. So I filmed the murder there, I filmed what happened there uh, along with uh, uh, my part friends and partner and um, he got murdered because there was a right sort of a thing going and he was innocent, he was standing and bang. And uh, there was three men who was charged later with uh, not murder, you know, but it was manslaughter. But it was murder, you know. These guys were standing on the back. It just reminded me of, you know, those guys standing on the back of tracks. They were going around the missions and the, where all the Aboriginal people lived in Moree, and those big long guns, aiming like that. And so, you know, we didn't sleep. We could try and run around with a camera all night. But yes, yeah, so I filmed that, and there was a murder in Moree, and. Um, we got that done and uh, I think we got home and then we had to rush off to uh, Weewall for the first Black Death in Custody. And so after that I said, oh gee, I think I want to, I want to do some comedy because, you know, I love comedy. <laughs> and, and Blackfellas won't let Whitefellas capture it, you know, it's, it's in a secret sort of thing where we have a... We could be having the worst times, you know, yet someone will say, and we, then we get into our laughter and it's all part of the therapy. And yeah. We do it, I don't know, we don't know, but yeah, it happens. And I wanted to capture some of that stuff, but I never got to do it because there's too much going on, you know. And then, of course, I, I think uh, I made, yeah, I made Always Was, Always Will Be, this one. I made, we made uh, with other friends, we made one called Stop Police Racism after the Doomagy one. And then I was just filming lots of stuff that was happening, um, lots of riots and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also trying to encourage my mob to, uh, I wanted to encourage women to go, you know, I used to do camera work, we used heavy big thing sitting on the shoulder. <laughs> It was hard stuff, but I, I, it was all hands-on. I didn't go to film school. But that took me there to try and, and I, you know, I got with another Aboriginal guy in Sydney and his name was Lester Bostock and Jerry Bostock and uh, they used to think that women should be in the, in, at the sink, you know, and in the kitchen. 
And so <laughs> got them going, but in the end we worked together and, and got to the film school and uh, wrote up some different policy and saying, hey, look, Aboriginal people don't have 30,000 to come here. Let's break down some of that stuff. And we did that. And so, so yeah, so there's those sorts of things. And what school was that? The film school at, in Sydney. Okay. Mm. They call it afters, I think. And, we, you know, we've had people uh, go and do courses there as well, so which was good, you know. And you can see some progress happening then after, but it took a lot of work. I, uh, I think after the Maury murder, I took a job with the Corrective Services as a state, first time state liaison officer. And I wanted to get in there and see what happens, you know. And a lot of our people were being held. I went to the women's jail and a lot of our people were being held back because they couldn't read or write. And they were just sitting around, you know. They're not ones to go up and say, hey, I don't know what you're saying or can't read that. But, I, yeah, got in there. I got on the big committees with all these uh, people and started to... Uh, I opened it up a bit and got some of those people out and yeah and, and uh, helped uh, got into the education and set up classes inside the jails and that sort of stuff yeah okay. yeah <laughs> so it's just the drive I think you know to try and make life a little bit easier for our mob. And I suppose being a woman as well, you just sort of alluded to it, but you've had like a double maybe set of barriers yes. to a lot of things. Yes, yeah. but you, you know, you, you hang in there and yeah. keep fighting. We used to laugh and the kids used to say, I want two presents, I want a mummy's one and a daddy's one from you guys. <laughs> we laugh about it, but it was it was hard, but the kids were good. We was I managed them where my daughter would work and then if I had to have a break, then she'd, uh, you know, she'd go to, back to work, and so we, we organised around that, and one was at uni, and <laughs> so we got through it all, and we're fine. But it, it, you know, it's 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 just so hard. I I um I end up uh, setting up a um, a dental clinic clinic just for the Sydney uni. Just oh, it took me five years, but. Um, this group from Sydney Uni came up to Timor and had some meetings up there with me and, um, you know, because there's generations of our kids never ever had any dental care. And, you know, they used to go to all the white girls and leave our kids out and so that's what I saw. And so it just sort of got me going and I, I wrote to the people up in Cairns, the Aboriginal Medical Service up there, and they wrote back and sort of supported me. and. Um, then some people got involved from Sydney Uni and uh, there was two old white guys sitting in a pub and the one said, I don't know what I wanted to spend my money on. And the other guy said, well, why don't you spend it on Aboriginal health or education? And that's what they did. And uh, so now we, we, was only, we were only doing the teeth. Because you know, all our kids, they were staying home from school because they had to, and one they got, once they got to they people would go back to school. So we set up a little unit in the school where they'd done all the school children, and the teacher was so happy to get the kids back into school. But the whole community got, uh, we got the teeth done, and it was a happy community after. But it spread right throughout 
that part of the region then went to Mungandai and Moree and all over the place and now it's opened right up and so we got our first dental guy from Toomalai. He's just done four years, he's graduated. And so the younger ones are coming through and they're doing health now and it, it's opened it right up now so I'm pretty pleased with that. So that, I'm really proud to see that happening. Thanks so much. Oh. <laughs> so what are you working on at the moment? Do you have any film projects in the works? No, I, I had a little break there for a while because it was so hard to get arms. I, I couldn't get any, you know. And maybe, what I thought about, maybe if I thought that um, maybe I was making too much political stuff. I was exposing lots of stuff, but I, I couldn't get any um, support from them. But um, no, I'm not working on anything, just helping out in organisations. And I'm doing, a, yeah, work with some youth, a big group of youth over at Wyon. And I'm just loving it to see young people grow and develop into strong people, you know, and they so respect. They see you coming and out the front, big hugs and you know, what they holler all over you, you know, and it's so it's just giving them some direction and and you know, building them up and, and they, they just turn into beautiful young people and I'm really pleased with what's happening. This other young woman he's working with them, she does a terrific job. So they do art and culture and we we went away with hundred and fifty, I think, with a, and a group of people. So I think my passion is trying to we used to go purposely out to educate the, the wider community, as I mean, you know, and and that you know we did a lot of that, saying, look, you know, we, our culture is very, very rich. Come and join us, you know. We're not going to take anything from you. Uh, just work with us and uh, walk with us. That's all we're saying. You can't do it for us, but you can support us and walk with us. And, uh, but no, it's, it's still the same, but we, I, you know, and I spent a lot of time out there uh, trying to do that and educate them about it, but we didn't really, you know, make much progress, I think, and now it's, it's worse. So my young brother, he's saying, well, I've got to go and educate the, my community where I'm living, but why should we do that? And I used to say to them, no, you go up here bum and go up there and you find out what's happening in Aboriginal communities, you know. And we, I have got lots of good support from white people, you know, and they're always there, the people who support us. Mm. And we understand that, we know what's going on, but we just want you to break down your barriers and, and yeah, come and... But that's our work, you shouldn't have that's, to we sh That's what I said, we shouldn't have to do that, but still it's not happening. But when you say come, you know, come and talk to us. We went up to dinner up at the club here and I, I, walk, I was walking past the, uh, the poker machines and this lady was standing there and she must have thought that I was coming to uh, stand near her and she grabbed the bag really quickly because she looked up and I walked over and said, you don't really need to do that. I said, I won't touch your bag. I said, I have 12 in my family. We've never been, you know, we're clean skins. Our grandparents taught us, 
you know, we've got to be good. And none of us are, uh, we're all clean skinned. Don't know what it's like. You know, he wasn't allowed to. Well, it wasn't there. There was no need, you know, to do that. Because it's different now. But that's what we were taught, you know, from the elders. And I said, I wouldn't touch your bag, love. I said, you know, we wouldn't, we would never do And, but you did, you know, I still, well, you still get it. You know, where you're standing in the queue, and the person behind the bar, food bar, whatever it is, she'll serve the people behind you, and we just used to take it. But since I became aware, you know, and I, it's, it, it hasn't changed, you know, so. You know, in those days I was talking about how they, uh, they wrote up these policies, and they were so racist. And they, they tried to break down the, the cultural thing with families. So they put one family here. And of course the families were moving because um, the government initiative program where they said, oh, of course we want to get a good education for our kids. We'll move to Tamworth or we'll move to Dubbo or wherever, you know. And they were taking people out of the community. Yeah. And so they put one here and one five k's away. So it broke a lot of that down, you know, and it was, it's hard for the families. But you know what, a lot of those kids I, I look at today, they, uh, they're so strong and they came through that era, you know. And uh, when I went to uni and I, met, I was living in town and I started to work more with the communities. And anger started to build up in me, and because it was so racist. And, you know, uh, and so I, I, I just had this this build-up of a thing and it went right through my body and all I wanted to do is go out and kill all the Christians and the white people. I wanted to do it, not that I would, but that was there, you know, because of what they'd done to our family. Because I started to get educated, I'd just done a course through uni and, yeah, and I thought, how am I going to get back? What do I do? You know, look what they've done to our people. And of course, you know, I got involved in all the massacres and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, it was hard, but... Um, but it's a great motivator. And I think art is a really great tool. Oh, it is. And that's why I think a lot of our young people are using art uh, to... It's a karma. It's a karma for people. Mm. A lot of our young ones are great artists, you know. And I love it, and so our kids do art. Everybody does art, you know. Because I'm on the mission too, the guys, they, they love, our mob love music, regardless. And they used to make their own instruments. And I saw this guy make this, it was, a, I don't know whether you would see, it's a big square tea box, I called them. It goes around like that, really big. It was just fine, sort of board stuff. And they used to put things together, and I, I could still see that young guy. He made his own, like a boom, boom, boom sound, you know? Like a drum or with strings on it? Um, no, it, it didn't have strings, it just had one or two. It might be two strings across. Diagonally like that, yeah. and he used it, and it was, but it, it was like a boom, you know, sound. It was like a drum, yeah. yeah. And so they always had guitars, and someone would have an accordion, and they used to have some, you know, after you get through all that hard stuff, and they used to have bands, always 
and it was a great band. And, and I remember they used to have these great dances on the mission, and we, you know, sneak and never look. <laughs> but oh, they had some fun and good times, you know. And I used to grow their own vegetables, you know, have gardens there. There was lots of water. It was, you know, just hard, no employment. But sometimes throughout that mission era that I, I, I used to think, it was so hard, but I think, uh, how come we're different? Uh, why is this happening to us? And then I thought, gee, I'd love to be white. I used to wish I was white. So I can have the good things like in town, you know? And that, you know, it really was reality when it hit me, you know, that we're never going to have anything. And I think it was that sort of kind of drive that got me going. <laughs> and I haven't stopped it. <laughs> it's been a long one, but I love it. I, I really enjoy working with people. And my, my son's the same, and my daughter, you know, they're all... Oh, well, I suppose they were brought up around us. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. else can you say? <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it's been good. So I suppose my aim is just to keep going and doing what I'm doing and um, just hopefully that somewhere, someone will change somewhere and uh, just make it a little bit easier for our next generation. I've got some films in Unis and stuff because my young fella rang me from Lismore and said, hey mum, look, guess what, I just found the wife's wife. Yeah, so he's been around it all, but, um, you know, I, and it'll be open to everybody, you know. I was talking to the young guy who organised the screening and he's, he's beautiful, he's, he's 26 and he said, aren't he, he's so proud that he met me, but I can't, he's on the phone to me every day, he's coming up to spend some time with me and that's great, oh, you know, whatever I can do to uh, keep, you know, keep, keep it going and just try to, you know, give some more education to young people, like that's what I'll be doing until I go to dream time. <laughs> I love seeing kids uh, develop and grow. It'll help them to become strong citizens of the country, you know, and it'll blow away a lot of this racism and stuff. I'm just hoping that, yeah, the next generation will be a lot more better at it. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. When you look at all the, all the inquiries that's been happening, the Royal Commission is a blackness in custody, We've got some things like they've set up proper cells now where they can see the people and, and um, but the one that I'm going to next week, we went in there last year, it's 12 months about Rebecca and they, they're going to give the findings but the silly thing I've done of course I'll just be really quick and I go in there and here's this little lady, she's sitting up by herself in this cor uh, coroner's courtroom and uh, I looked over and so practically like there was a whole hip side of police and detective sitting. So I got up naturally and I got up and I looked and I counted every one of them and all the bar people were in front so I went and counted them as well and I thought, wow, this is what this little old lady is up against. Up again. Yeah. You know? He said, is this real? And it was. So she's there to, to, for her daughter. And 
what but what came out was uh, when they arrested her uh, one o'clock in the morning, took her to the cell, threw her in, and uh, it's all on video that comes out in the inquiry. And uh, she, um, some copper said that he got a phone call to say he heard that she had AIDS, so they wouldn't touch her. And so it was going, and they were in the charge, this is all shown, they were in the charge room all making chicken calls and laughing at her and all that kind of stuff, because they could see her in the cell. And then they went in about four o'clock, because they could see her breathing was going down. And, but by the time they did go in, she, she'd already passed. And it was, and here they were making all this, you know, just gigging her. And it really hurt me, and uh, I thought, wow, you know, what, what are we up against here? Um, and uh, so I, uh, we had a little rally in the park before we went to the courtroom, and because I gave a bit of a talk, and I said, um, um, you know, every police station in this country is like a torture chamber to every black person who goes into them, because they go in and most of them don't come out. Look at those ones that happened in WA with the women. It's shocking, you know. So we're not human beings because they can kick and do whatever they want to us. And so that's why I say that they operate at, at the highest level, the police and corrective services. They treat us like nothing. They kick you around. And, and so I'm going in, so we're going to have the finding. So when we got into the uh, court about Rebecca, um, I went up with the mum. She leaves five children, but the, there was a young white woman who looks after her children, and she, the mother wanted her to speak on her behalf. That was nice. And I just went to stand with the mum. So when it was finished, then I leaned out of the coroner and I said, Excuse me, I'd, I'd really like, could I have a say? I'm real, very cheeky. And uh, she said, What would you want to say, Madeline? And I said, Oh, just to talk about the black desert custody. And she said, oh, no, I don't think you should. Because she saw the video the morning before we went in. So she wasn't going to let me get up no. and talk about it. <laughs> but I try. I don't miss an opportunity, you know. It's, uh, you know, it's too political. Crazy. But that's the reality of what we're up against, you know, it's so hard. <laughs>